Crom. Yeah. Ready in Kentucky? Yeah. In five, four, three, two. Welcome back, everybody, to the Savage Cromcast. Season five, episode two, The Pit of the Serpent. I'm Josh. I'm Luke. And I am John. And we are three seamen breaking in your back door and ready to brawl. The Manila manslaughter. (laughs) We're going to talk about the the original Thrilla in Manila tonight. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> it's been a little while. It's been a little while. Hello. <laughs> the holidays get in the way of the podcasting. Holidays get in the way. Uh, but we are back uh, to discuss some Sailor Steve Costigan. And it's just us this time. Um, last time we had Mark and Chris Gruber, and uh, they laid some knowledge down. But this time we're flying solo to discuss the very first Sailor Steve Costigan story. Right, Luke? That's right. We're going to... We're gonna- put some time in on the heavy bag here with this one uh this was this was a a pretty compact little story though i don't know how long it took you guys to read it but i was able to knock it out in a single sitting well that, that's one thing that i want to come back to but i think the pace of the story is so conducive to reading it quickly that the first time i read through it i just just flew and i missed a lot of the details it was fast just and like it was done it's breakneck breakneck uh, but before we get into the story, we should talk about other things. John, what you drinking? Uh, I went down the Staler Steve Costigan path. I've got some beer, a few whiskeys, a little brandy, and a slug of wine for a chaser. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> no. I've got Wild Turkey 101, as per usual. Okay. <laughs> That's how you do. I was like, man. <laughs> You're off. Are you off the coffee train? I am. I'm drinking a little bit of uh, the Bullet Bourbon Frontier Whiskey, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Uh, That's what I'm having tonight. Uh, It's 90 proof, so it's a little bit hot. What about you, Josh? I have uh, the old standby benchmark, old number eight brand, Kentucky Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Uh, Is this leftover from when you were here? Might be. It is actually. I think, I think it yeah. might be. Yeah, it's the remnants of like the Halloween bottle. I think. Yeah, those memories what, came what bubbling. Proof to... Is benchmark number eight? It's an eighty. Eighty, it's, right? Yeah, it's low. Yeah, that's why it's so damn good. It's smooth. You can just sip it, sip it, sip it. Eighty proof. I'm over here on the one hundred and one train. Yeah. You're, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're sounding like an old blues mu- uh, musician that's been playing going... playing music in a bar for twenty years or so. Going for a Rooster Cogburn. So okay. <laughs> McGruff the crime dog. <laughs> McGruff <laughs> takes a bite out of crime. <laughs> Take a, a drink out of bourbon. <laughs> We're ridiculous. We should talk about one thing. Do you have one, John? I do. I think that you guys are going to like it. I got a cool book for Christmas called The Art of the B-Movie Poster from my lovely wife, Kara. Oh, that looks awesome. And it is super dope. If you have ever had any interest, you know who would really like this? Evil Ed. Yeah. Evil Ed would like this book. If you've ever had any interest in B-Movies or just movie poster art, which is sort of a passion of mine, I love movie posters and I like, I like the composition of them and I just, I've always really dug them. This book has got a lot of examples of just like really weird B-movie art. It has little vignettes about each kind of B-movie. Like this is about black exploitation and the ladies of Kung Fu. Just all different kinds of examples and uh, little little write-ups from experts in the field. So if you're into B-movies or just art in general, I think you should check out the art of the B-movie poster. The art of the B-movie poster. 
there's some uh, Mexican wrestlers in here for our friend El Goro. Lots of Santos and the the Blue Demon. Nice. Yeah. How about you, Luke? What would you like to share with the class tonight? I I'm still really jazzed about a movie that I saw some time ago, but I just uh, I've been really wanting to mention it on the show. Uh, the movie The Arrival, which I think came out like well before well before Christmas. I saw it at some point during like early in the holiday season. Uh, I think that movie is just amazing. It really did floor me and it's stuck with me. It's still stuck with me. I find myself thinking about it and I'm really excited to watch it again when it comes out on DVD. Uh, so, uh, I don't know if, uh, any of the listeners out there had a chance to, to catch that. But if you haven't, I would really, really suggest checking out The Arrival. It's directed by uh, Villeneuve or Villeneuve, however you, you would say that fellow's name, depending on your, your accent and where you're from. But he's the dude that did uh, uh, Sicario previously, uh, which I really, really loved. And he's done he's done a whole a whole slew of things. He's, he's up and coming. He's doing the new Blade Runner uh, prequel sequel remake whatever i don't know what we want to call it uh i do know the trailer for that looks pretty dang cool uh and it's a trailer that's effective i think because you don't really know what the hell's going on in it (laughs) but the trailer makes it seem as though it's a sequel right yeah like decker's old right and and things seem a bit more decayed at least from that crazy statue Mm -hmm. uh i dig it i'm like at first i was not not too keen on seeing another ridley scott like return to something mm-hmm. but that's it's not a Ridley Scott like Ridley Scott's I think foot in the bill or something but okay. but this dude is is the director and he is the hotness and I'm really I'm really excited about that but regardless of of Blade Runner the arrival is is something special it really just like gave me a gut punch the whole way through I thought it was emotional and great social commentary and the best kind of science fiction so that's cool. my one thing. You told me you wept on the way home. I did. I was a mess after I left the the theater. I went with uh with uh with a friend of ours and he and I, you know, watched the movie. We stepped outside, we were talking about it for a few minutes and then I had to get on the road back to the house and everything. And between there and like walking in uh to the house and, and you know, sitting down on the couch with my wife, like it just got I was thinking. Anyway, yeah, I was I was definitely I was definitely a little bit weepy. It's just, it hits you. Like, there's a lot of good ideas in that movie and a lot of good things that that it makes you think about the things that are important to you. So you brought up that uh, Blade Runner trailer. And um, I think another trailer from another Ridley Scott project dropped here recently, right? The, the trailer to the new Alien, which I think is going to serve as a, a sequel to Prometheus. At least that's what it seems like. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I haven't checked it out yet. Oh, you haven't seen it yet? Okay, mm-hmm. oh, I won't. I won't talk about it any further. But that that's out there in the wild. Have you seen it, John? No, I haven't watched too many movie trailers lately. <laughs> well, for good reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it does seem as though this year um, there's going to be at least a couple of return to uh, Ridley Scott franchises. Uh, it seems interesting. I don't know. We'll see. What about you, Josh? Uh, mine's a science, science fiction. It's, 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 I guess people would argue about whether it's science fiction or not. It's Star Wars. Um, Star I, I, Wars I, is an adventure film. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> I still enjoy it, uh, and I like it a lot. And I saw Rogue One. Uh, I hope you guys also saw Rogue One. John, did you have a chance to catch it? I did. What'd you think? I had lots of pew-pews in it. Pew-pew. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was able to see it, too. I thought it was good. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so it's still new enough that maybe people haven't seen it, so we won't drop any spoilers. But um, I loved Rogue Wrong One. Robots. <laughs> and it was all a dream. Um, I, I loved Rogue One, and it it really got me started thinking about Star Wars games. Like, I wanted to play a Star Wars RPG. And Luke and I actually used to play uh, a, a short-lived Star Wars campaign. And uh, seeing this movie really made me want to get back into Star Wars gaming. So I wanted to ask you guys, have you ever played a Star Wars video game? And if you have, what ones, what one did you like? What one is your favorite? You don't have to list off everything, but maybe just uh, your favorite Star Wars video game. 
I think I've only played two, actually. Okay. Uh, my brother got Battlefront last year. Okay. I played a little bit of that with him. But I remember spending lots of time with him playing is uh, on the 64 Shadows of the Empire. Is that the right one? Yeah. Yeah. And we would be in the the plane and we would try to tie the cable around the, the walking ATTs and tie their legs up so they'd fall over. Mm-hmm. I remember doing that a lot. The, so that's the, my favorite one. The Battle of Hoth. The Battle of Hoth, yes. Yeah. How about you, Luke? Uh, when I was younger, I played TIE Fighter, like yeah. on our on our little home, you know, desktop computer. So this, I don't know, I was just trying to think about what year that must have been. It had to have been like 92 or 93. No, like I, I, was, I had 94 in my head for some yeah. reason. Yeah. I, and I can't remember for sure. I just know that that was the reason that I, that I was able to get a joystick for our computer and it was like a legit uh flight simulator uh and i i feel like that it was one of those games that had like the little paper cut out uh overlay for your keyboard that had all the hotkeys for like switching between your various you know (laughs) types of weapons and everything i really love that game i hated playing the base tie fighter just because all you have are like uh your you're like Pro, you don't even have any like proton bombs or anything. You just yeah. have like your little laser uh, rapid fire, and you don't even have any shields, so oh, you're just yeah. screwed. You're just swarming, right? But I remember being able to fly the Tie Advanced, and man, that was just like that. And the uh, whatever the oh, for some reason I'm thinking it's like the it was the Delta Wing, but it was like the three wing thing, like okay, uh, the heavier sort of Imperial shuttle like bomber. That's not a Y wing. No, no, the Y Wing was the that's, was the Rebels. That's yeah. Rebels, yeah. I love that. That's that's my favorite Rebel uh spacecraft. Yeah. Uh but but whatever the three wing thing is that Vader always Oh flew yeah, okay, in, yeah. Like you had one of those and like that and the uh the tie advanced had shields, you had all kinds of weapons, and I just remember being able, like just having so much glee, like picking off X Wings, just <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, Rebel scum. That's right. <laughs> so I, TIE Fighter was the one that I probably played the most. I didn't have any others on my home computer or anything like that growing up. Yeah. Uh, but what about you, dude? Man, my favorite, and I've put tons of hours into this thing, is Knights of the Old Republic. And it came out around the time that the original Xbox came out. Uh-huh. Uh, so like 2000, 2001, something like that. And it was just the the greatest Star Wars game because it melded RPGs with Star Wars action adventure. And it was set, you know, thousands of years before the events of the films. So you're, you're in familiar settings, but uh, none of the characters that you expect to see are there. Um, and it's this war between the Sith and the Jedi Order, and so there are lots of Jedi and lots of Sith, or no, I guess not lots of the two Sith, right? Uh-huh. Um, and dark Jedi and and these guys that had these like vibro blades that oh, could, yeah, yeah. swords that could block your your lightsaber, uh-huh. and you can go light side or you can go dark side depending on how you uh, choose to respond to people. So it's like Fable if you've ever I know Luke you yeah. played it before. Uh-huh. Um, so you can be evil or you can be good. Uh, I never did beat the game, so I don't know what the ending is like, but it is it is certainly uh, a great experience, and it's one that I need to track down and play again. I saw that it was on Steam, so I think that's going to be my next Steam purchase next time uh, there's a sale. Nice. Yeah. Star Wars games. Go see Rogue One if you haven't, and play some Star Wars video games. <sighs> <laughs> cool. That's one thing. One thing. All right. You guys ready to talk about a boxing story? Yeah, let's talk about it. The Pit and the Serpent. I have here that it was also known as what the uh the not the the Manila Killer. What is it called? Oh. <laughs> Not, I just made that up. That's that's Muhammad Ali. <laughs> <laughs> also known as the Manila Manslaughter. Oh. Which it should be the Manila Manslaughter. Like, they, they shouldn't <laughs> put that hard R on the end of Manslaughter. It should be Manslaughter. Right. Yeah. To, to keep with the theme. Maybe 
they didn't think about that back in 1929. Probably not. This needs to be proper English. Proper. We, we speak proper English in in America in the 1930s. In July 1929. <laughs> right. First published in the Fight Stories. Yeah. Did you guys look up Fight Stories? Just a little bit here and there. My, mine is. What just, did you learn about? It's just straight from Wikipedia that this publication ran from 1928 through May of 1932 and then took a short hiatus for four years uh, for reasons that I don't really understand and then came back for 59 more issues. Uh, it ran from 1936 through 1952. Uh, and that spring of 1952, uh, Fight Stories published its last volume of Tales. So it was a long-running you know, sports pulp, much, much longer than I expected. Because boxing is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like uh, this story, like I'm looking at the cover of of the issue in the so I read this on the Delphi works of Robert E. Howard, which is one of those cheap couple dollar Kindle editions you can pick up. And so at least for this story it has the has the cover. And so it says here like uh Jack Dempsey's Ring Adventure by Jimmy DeForest and then Glove Magic Complete Ring Action <laughs> Novel by Charles Kelly. Chuck Kelly so, <laughs> Glove Magic. So and I recall uh the guy's last episode talking about that these issues these had you know nonfiction aspects and then fictional stories like it was uh, a mishmash of ac- activity like material in there so mm-hmm. you would get some actual real fighting material and some of these fictitious sailor steve costigan riots that were playing out yeah it's a in the introduction to the book that I've got, the boxing stories as edited by Chris Gruber from Bison Press, mm-hmm. Bison Books here in Nebraska, he talks about a letter that he wrote to Tevis Clyde Smith about this this story, The Pit of the Serpent. It'll give you, he says, it'll give you a good idea how to write sports stories. The style and form are not much, but the mechanics are perfect. Writing is a lot like architecture. The whole structure has to suit. Each piece has to be in place. So would you agree with that? Is this something you wanted to come to, Josh? About we talked a little bit at the beginning about it was sort of short, but it clicked and it went all just really fast. Yeah, there's not a lot of setup for this, right? We we find ourselves in Manila, and uh, you learn a little bit about Steve Costigan and his uh, exploits, his fights, who he's fought with, who's beaten him, who he's beaten, uh, and it it just gets right into the adventure, which involves a, a lady that uh, <laughs> Costigan meets in a bar. Yeah. But the thing that really drew me in is the first paragraph. The minute I stepped ashore from the Seagirl merchantman, I had a hunch that there would be trouble. This hunch was caused by seeing some of the crew of the Dauntless. The men of the Dauntless have disliked the Seagirl's crew ever since our skipper took their captain to a cleaning back on the wharfs of Zanzibar, them being narrow-minded that way. They claim that the old man had knuckle duster on his right, which is a ridiculous and a dirty lie. He had it on his left. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it, it sets up expectations. And yes. and then it you know Howard deftly sort of defies those expectations because uh, I guess I I'm thinking okay everybody's telling lies about their captain but really it's not a lie at all they just got some of the details wrong so <laughs> so you get this sense of what Costigan's like and what is how his mind works right but he comes off into Manila and he's got money in his pocket he's looking for a good time he goes to the American bar which is uh, something culturally that always has fascinated me that in ports of call, you'd have different bars for different nationalities. But when he gets there, he meets up with a lady, right, Luke? Uh, yeah, yeah. What's her name? Raquel. Uh, and she, uh, he's quite taken with her. Raquel Lacosta. That's what yeah. I have written down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I mean, we'll talk about our all all of our personal thoughts on this story like as we as we go one of the things that i do like that you get a sense of here at the outset just immediately is is this is a different kind of howard story and the the unreliable narrator that is sailor sailor steve costigan i think is 
is interesting and noteworthy and just right off the bat this is this is a very different character than anything else we've read over the previous four seasons uh do you guys have any comments about that i think you're absolutely on the money yeah costigan uh thus far and this is the only one of these stories i've read so far is completely antithetical to Conan, to Solomon Kane, to Cole, who are, you know, largely kind of brooding and 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 serious and dour in many ways. And Conan maybe less than the other two, but uh here we have Costigan who likes to uh have some drinks and likes a pretty face and you know, I, I guess in that aspect he's more like Conan, but the the style of the story Conan wouldn't fit in this story. Yeah. It's you immediately get a sense that you really can't trust three quarters of what Steve Costigan says. (laughs) Uh, And I mean, and and it's Howard writing his humor, right? Yeah. What were you going to say, John? He's not sly. I think is the big thing. Everybody else that we've read through, they're like, they're these sly devils. They're suave. They know all the angles. They got it all figured out before it happens. And Costigan can't even realize that he is a terrible dancer and is stepping all over this woman's feet. Like, he thinks it's somebody else and he's got to go beat him up. Yeah. He's kind of a big dummy, but reading about him, I like him. Hanging out with him, <laughs> hanging out with him might be a, kind of a disaster, though, right? Yeah, yeah. He's a lovable oaf, right? Yeah. What do you guys think of the uh, the list of names <laughs> on the... Uh, Sea girl, his shipmates. It's it's good world building, man. I I really do like how you can, uh, like introduce some color and some flavor into a story just by the the exotic locales that seem believable and and drop in names like one round Granigan and Flatface O'Toole and the Swede Hajaning. Yeah. Like it's just like those are those are great. Uh, it really does work and it's it's effective from the from the get go. Uh, Nomad Jim said he was going to change his name to Mushy Hansen. <laughs> <laughs> Who's a poet, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, he, that's why he's mushy. <laughs> I guess, right? Because he writes yeah, love right. poetry. And he's got such great lines. Yeah. Over the road to Lo- Glory Lay, over Old Manila Bay, where the Irish whip the Spanish on a sultry summer day. I mean, <laughs> that's a dress dropper right there, right? Oh, sure. Well, unless <laughs> unless you're reading it to a Spanish lady, I guess. Right. Yeah. So so the story is a little, it's a little rough around the edges in a lot of ways, right? Like we get Raquel and she is, like all the characters here are caricatures, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's it's worth noting that. So, so Raquel is clearly painted as as a as a, a lady from España, right? Yep. Uh with with a hard accent presented on the text. But you get uh our bumbling oaf Costigan painted in, in just as just as laughable a light, I think. So so I don't think you could you could draw any any nasty or snarky remarks about about the writing of this story like like it's it's just it's written for laughs and gags the whole way through, right? Yeah, and I I also think that you know this is Costigan recounting this like reading this really you're sitting across from him at a table at you know in a in a bar and he's like let me tell you about this one time right right and and he's doing all the voices right, right? yeah like yeah yeah he's, and this is how she, and this is how she said it to me. Um, that kind of thing. So right. that's the way I read it. And you're right. They are caricatures, but I read this as though Costigan were narrating the whole thing. Right. And he even like the way he start he's the way he starts out the story too. He refers to the, the reader as a merchantman, like another merchant Marine. Right. Mm-hmm. So he really is like, you're at the, the American bar off another wharf city somewhere and out in the middle of the Indian ocean. Uh, and he's he's giving it to you, right? Mm-hmm. But he's he's trying to lay the moves down on Miss Lacosta, and a fellow by the name of Bat <laughs> comes up and and interrupts him. Bat Slade, which is just a really dope name. Batlin Slade is what it's short for, and he's sort of buttoning in on the business. He's a handsome guy, and uh, Steve knows if he lets him get a foot in the door, like he is not gonna go home with Miss Lacosta. Bat's going to take her home. So he tries to stand up for himself, and he's drunk very clearly. Uh, we read through what he has been drinking here in this evening. Some beer, a few whiskeys, and a little brandy, and a slug of wine. 
and he sort of gets duped into being a part of a pit fight, an illegal pit fight in Manila, which should tell you something about <laughs> <laughs> the legalities of what he's entering into. Yeah, so as Slade and Costigan are having this altercation, this guy kind of pops in out of nowhere, right? Uh, he's an oily bird. That's that's oily really Boyd. Yeah, that's the only uh, description we get of him. Um, yeah. But it's enough. Like he's he's a shysty fight promoter, and he wants to get a cut of some of the bets and win some money uh, off this bare knuckle pit fight. Uh, now, it, now, boys, let's do this right. Cosigan, will you fight? You and Slade fight for me and my club anywhere. Bare knuckles, gloves, or marlin spikes. <laughs> Costigan is ready to go. And it's clearly a setup, right? We get this across all all sides here. Costigan can't see through it, but they are all working to get Costigan in the ring so he can get his ass beat senseless by Batslade. Yeah. And Costigan says, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and as they're on their way to the uh, the where they're going to have the fight, Costigan's running through like his chances, right? Because he's a little bit uh, bigger than Slade, but Slade uh, is quick, right? And so it's going to be a pretty good contest. And uh, he goes through this list of people that uh, he, that he himself Costigan has beaten and that Slade has beaten. And some of these guys have laid Costigan out, but Slade was able to get the drop on him. So Howard's building this, you know, it's not tension, I guess, but uh, this notion that this is not a sure thing. This is not Conan, you know, kicking the door down and, and kicking everybody's ass. This is might not turn out in, in Costigan's favor. And it's it's exposition, but it doesn't feel, it didn't feel to me like exposition. It just felt like, Okay, here's this galoot running down the dope in his brain. He beat this guy. What's the? I'd want a decision over Boatswain Hagney, the champion of the British Asiatic Naval Fleet, who'd knocked Slade out in Hong Kong. But on the other hand, Slade had knocked out Mike Leary of the Blue Whale, who'd given me a terrible beating at Bombay. So I, you're building all this world. You're meeting all these other boxers. And I'd like to hear their stories as well. And you're just getting a bit of an idea that one, Steve's not invincible, and two, he's a little worried. He's starting to, to sober up and realize that maybe this won't go my direction. So we get to this venue, and uh, Costigan's confused. He's like, where's where's the ring? And they say, no, nah, it's down there. You're going to fight in the pit. And this is an old like uh, snake fighting pit, right, from, from years gone by? That's what we gather. That's what we're told. But there's no snakes there anymore, according right. to the guy that's in Steve's corner. It got used for a while for cockfights, but now it's strictly mono a mono bare knuckle boxing. And the guy, the oily bird, he's the one that makes all the money off of this. He doesn't charge necessarily for all of these events, but he's good at gambling and he's good at like skimming off of the the betting pool. So he hosts these events to try and make his money. And he's clearly, he's a shady dude. He's not a good guy. And Bat Slade is his champion. He, Bat Slade is the champion of Manila. So Steve has walked into a trap. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, though, is that the oily bird is the, uh, he's the ref, right? Yes. So he calls the fight. I like here where they're, uh, they're cursing at each other. <laughs> and, uh, it says Slade yelled at me from the other end of the pit. Hey, you blankety dash dot blank. Ain't you ready yet? <laughs> and uh, Costigan looks down at him and he's he's got no gloves. He's he's wearing socks and shoes and his his skivvies. And uh, I think still the gravity of the situation has not really fully occurred to uh, Costigan. Yeah. And he sort of he offers up some some lamentations, and Slade says, "Trying to back out. That's like you, Sea Girl Tramp. You blank <laughs> exclamation point and asterisks. I roared, tearing off my undershirt and bounding into the pit. Get down in here, you blank blank semicolon, and I'll make you look like the last rose of summer. That is a threat. I like that one. Yeah, that's a good one. And they so start. There's going to be a fight to the finish between Steve Costigan and Batlin Slade." The oily bird is the ref. There will be no decision. 
There's three minute rounds, one minute rest, no limit to the number of rounds. The fight will go until one of them goes out. So there's no rules except hitting below the belt in the way of punches, I mean, so you can kick, presumably, into the groin. Right, right, right. uh, Break when I say so. Hit on the breakaway if you want. Seconds will kindly refrain from hitting the other man with the water bucket. And as soon as the fight gets ready to start, Slade and Costigan enter into their own wager. Slade says he's got a hundred that he lays out Steve like a rug, and he's and Steve responds, "I see you and raise you a hundred. So it's and then two hundred two hundred dollar wager and and we're off. And this is the point at which I felt like the story just goes. Costigan he takes a licking. That's I guess that's the bottom line. His style is not very refined, and he can just take an incredible amount of punishment, which. Which is pretty great. Uh, I like that he's he's ill adapted to the setting, and I like that it's uh, what's the right word like like th- th- it does a good job. This like, Howard does a great job of explaining how Costigan is in a pickle because of the the setting. That given that this isn't his turf and it's an unfamiliar unofficial kind of setting that it doesn't play to Costigan's favor. It really came off and I could really imagine uh, Costigan just like bumping into all the walls here because it's so tight. He's a big oaf. Like he just, you know, he's punching walls. He's getting rubbed up against the, the concrete. He's just getting, getting the shit kicked out of him. I mean, you know, he's, he's laying the occasional good hit, but he just can't, seem to play the game to the to the extent that Slade can, right? Right. And Slade has the ref in his corner. Right, yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. <laughs> uh, at, at one point, uh, Slade crashes his fist against Costigan's head, and Costigan goes down, and there's a fast count, right? One, two, three, four, five. Right. And uh, luckily, Costigan was able to shake it off and, and bound back up. I think we'll find as we go through the season that this is a recurring theme. Not only that Steve is this like rope-a-dope, tough fighter, takes the punishment, and doles the, the best that he can out at the end, but that's really what Howard was into. When we read the Iron Men essay, I think we'll start learning more about how much he appreciated this style of fighting and how tough it is to be this kind of fighter. I think Chris Gruber would have a lot to say about that. Maybe he'll comment on the on the post when we put it up about Iron Man type boxers, but it's definitely Steve's style. Battling Slade is much more of a quick on his feet. He's going to bounce around, make you miss. Mm-hmm. And he's putting Costigan through the ringer. He's scraping him up against the wall, tearing off chunks of hide from Steve. He's shut pretty much both of Steve's eyes towards the end of the fight. Yeah. And he's working his lip. He's got his, his midsection all bruised over and Steve, at the at the beginning of the third round has really only laid a good lick in on the trunk of Batlin Slade. He's got like a big bruise on his ribs. But other than that, he's sort of doing okay. But things start to turn on him pretty quick once we get into the fourth round. Yeah, I like that uh that Bat is not necessarily a shysty fighter though. Like he is not uh Oh, I don't know. Like, he's not the gray mouser. He's not like a a thief that's like super dexterous. He's just slicker. Like, he's not necessarily just jumping around out of reach. He just knows how to be quick enough and slide out of the way so Mm -hmm. that so that Costigan's punches aren't landing as they're intended. He's like, you know, just getting the the side hammer of a fist as opposed to the full weight of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's wearing Uh, him down. Yeah. And, uh, Bat knows this room. He, like we've said, he's fought in this room and won every time he's fought here. Uh, so he's he definitely has the advantage. But, uh, John, you mentioned we're going into the fourth round and things start to turn around a little bit for Costigan, right? Yeah, he he keeps talking about Bat has this octopus style of fighting, a lot of arms out there, just busting him around. But as we head into the fourth, uh, there's some punishment that's starting to get doled out. Bat has a black eye, more bruises to his ribs, and then Costigan comes in and starts swinging at him, and he gets Bat. He says, I had plunged after him swinging. He sidestepped out of the corner, 
and the next instant was left jabbing me to death while I floundered on the wall, trying to get set to a smash. I swished a right to his body, and while I didn't think it landed solid, he staggered and dropped his hand slightly. And I think this is where Steve gets tricked. Slade gets him in on the chin, starts battering him on the head. There's a count. Uh, the fourth round, when it starts, they, it's just like, bam, bam, all these hostilities. And he gets Slade right in the in the heart. Is that what it is? Yeah, he... Yeah, he he hard punches him right, like or just gets yeah. him straight to the like straight to the sternum, which sounds really dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And so he's going in for the kill, and Bat drops down because he's been heart punched, and Steve hits the wall, the concrete wall, and breaks his his wrist, his fingers, and his arm possibly. And so now his whole left arm, I think it's his left arm, right arm, is is useless. And he's got to finish the fight one-armed, but so does Bat. He's also busted up. He can't fight with both hands. And Bat has a light of desperation in his eyes. He rushes wide open, staking everything on one right swing. I stepped inside it, sank my left to the wrist in his midriff, and brought the same hand up to his jaw. He staggered, his arms fell, and I swung my left flush to the bottom, to the button, with everything I had behind it, and Bat hit the floor. At this point, they've also knocked the ref out. The yeah. ref has fallen into the ring and gotten caught in the fight. So the crowd has to count out Bat, which becomes important later on in the tale. Right. Sailor Steve, he he, <laughs> he lands it right when he needs to, and he goes down. But but it's it's unquestionable, right? Like, there's enough of the crowd there counting, and it's, it takes long enough. Like, Sailor Steve, he won this. He yeah. knows that he won it. But he doesn't remember much after that. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no, he's he's uh, uh, kind of punch drunk, right? Like everything began to whirl, and he flopped down, and uh, a little bit of time passes. I guess it's the next day, and uh, he's bandaged up. He's got two black eyes. His right arm's in a sling. Uh, he's he's just beat up, and he's going to the. Uh, the bar to find Raquel so he can tell her, Hey honey, I, I won the fight. I've, I won, I beat the other guy and I'm here to, uh, sweep you off your feet. Cause yep, this yep. is my, my last night in, in town. But who does he run into outside of the same bar where he met Raquel? Slade. That Slade. <laughs> I look him over and says, are you able to be out? You ain't no beauty yourself, he retorted. So they're all they're both all banged up and bandaged up. Steve wants his money. Where's the two hundred we bet? And ha ha Try and get it. They told me I wasn't counted out officially. The referee didn't count me out. You didn't whip me. <laughs> let the let the money go, you dirty yellow crook. Uh yeah, so Costigan is pissed off because this guy is like, oh, you didn't officially win. And, and Kosigan knows that he he won by rights. It's just not official. But nothing about the fight was official to begin with. So right. they're arguing over a moot point, which I, I thought this was pretty funny. This isn't the world heavyweight title or anything. Exactly. <laughs> right. But to them, it may as well be. So so they're, they're both there to see Raquel, and they're going to let her pick. Even though Steve won, they sort of agree, we'll let her choose which man she chooses and they they kind of plead their case and she's kind of like what do i what is this what business are you two tramps have come looking for me and talking to me with gibberish am i to blame that you two great tramps go and pound each other's maps what is it to me and they're sort of like but you said go fight and the best man and i don't give any promises what do i care about yankee traps who make the fist fight go home and be stake the eye you insult me talking to me in public with the punch nose and the bung up face. <laughs> she says, you, you don't love either of us, says Bat. Me love two gorillas. Bah, here's my man, Don Jose Waibalsa Santa Maria Gonzalez. <laughs> and he's this, he's this like stately Spanish naval officer. Uh -huh. And they're both like, screw this guy. And they deck him with their good arms, knock him out. Yeah. And it looks like the beginning <laughs> of a beautiful friendship between Bat and Steve. Yeah, Bat throws a right. Punk, you can't trust them. <laughs> Bat and throws a right. Costigan throws a left. They double punch this guy. Bam! He hits the floor. 
They made him look like the last rose of summer. Um, and then they go get a drink, and uh, it, it seems as though, like you indicated, John, that uh, we're seeing the be- beginning of a beautiful friendship. But only as far as Bat's not going to pay him, right? Like, what I wrote down here in my notes is fraternal, and as far as there's no money exchanging hands, right? Uh, but, you know, the, the stinger is that Sailor Steve, like, looks over his shoulder and sees Bat taking a swing, so he takes the bottle of whiskey he's got in his hand and cracks him over the top of the head and knocks him out cold. So, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's, there's no real fraternal brotherhood amongst sailors across boats. <laughs> I mean, you got the sea girl and the... The dauntless. Uh, the, the, the dauntless. <laughs> it's a very nice They're, sentiment, though, that, that Bat puts out. He says, all men is brothers, and the fact that you was lucky enough to crown me don't alter my admiration and affection. Tomorrow we will be sailing the high seas, many miles apart. Let our thoughts of each other be gentle and fraternal. Let us forget old feuds and differences. Let this be the dawn of a new age of brotherly affection and square dealing. And how about my 200? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, So this story ends just with Costigan knocking this guy out, laying him out cold. Um, They're not friends, and I wonder if we'll see them tangle with each other again sometime in the future. Old Bat Slade. Old Bat Slade. <laughs> so Grand Pappy to Batman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, his real last name is Wayne. <laughs> and thus ends the Manila Manslaughter. Tur. Slaughter. Slaughter. Please. The Pit and the Serpent. So, I like it. Okay, and I think we'll we'll discuss this more, but uh, I I guess I think of it in its place as part of a it's a short story in a magazine. It's obviously got to be Watchmen maker tight, like it's got to be architecturally sound, like Howard mentions in his letter to Tevis Clyde Smith. He's got to use sort of an economy of words to get this story of, across. And for me, it just plays out like an old radio serial. Like you could have seen this before the Mummy. Or something like this could have been a short vignette that played after the news at your matinee. Right. And I don't know. I just dug it. It's got lots of physical comedy in it. It's got funny characters. And I know it's not the best story we've ever read by Robert E. Howard, but it was just fun. It was good, fluffy fun for me. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, and, and I can agree with those points. It really is a quick story. So, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's a waste of time at all. Um, you know, there's good stuff here, and it really doesn't take long to read. So it's not a slog. Um, and in the end, I, th- I think it's pretty enjoyable. So, yeah, I think this was a good introduction to Sailor Steve Costigan, and I'm looking forward to reading more of these stories. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's it was, it was fun, it was quick, it was fluffy, and I did not uh, feel like I wasted my time or anything like that. It just, you know... It's light fair, but it's a <laughs> it's a refreshing new character. So that's I'm I'm excited to see how subsequent stories play this uh the Sailor Steve Costigan fellow. Yeah. I think I was excited too just to see a different side of Howard. I feel like we've spent four seasons talking about like dark emo Howard. <laughs> yeah. And the, this is sort this is a cool side of him. Like he he had a happy go lucky adventure side i I think he would want to be sailor steve like he wanted to be conan maybe or whatever but i think the better life would be sailor steve in in going port to port and having adventures and friends like like one round mcginnis and all that kind of stuff (laughs) uh well to, to that point um rusty told us that uh in what is the autobiographical work is it uh uh, post Post-oaks, oaks and sand roughs. Um, the the Howard character is Steve Costigan, right? That's his That's name. True. Yeah. So I think it'll be interesting to to dig into some of Costigan's other adventures for sure. So up next, we are going to dig into a new story from 1930 called "The Bulldog Breed," and we get to meet a new character in the Sailor Steve canon. We get to meet Mike the Bulldog. Ever popular, awesome dog, pretty cool guy, a central character in a lot of later stories. And I think 
we'll all love them because we all love dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be fun to dig into. Before we close up shop, there's a little bit of feedback to, to discuss. We posted on Facebook a poll who would win if uh, Conan and Steve Costigan fought one another. Did you guys take a look at the comments on that thread? I did. Well, pretty it heavy for the Conan. Pretty heavy for the Conan, yeah. Uh, you know, almost everybody said Conan would win. But I think the one that I like the, the most is from uh, S.B. Bondari. He says, uh, Steve Costigan may be a direct descendant of Conan's, but there is no way he could win. Conan has fought monsters, wizards, and the best of what the Hyborian Age could throw at him. Assuming Conan played by the rules and didn't kill the referee in the process, I th- would say that it would go to to the eighth round, but more than likely in the third with a raid by the authorities or local gangsters. Or it would end <laughs> with mutual respect between both, with Conan and Steve calling for an end to the fight so they could both uh, do more productive things like pummel hoodlums in the crowd, drinking, and general carousing. There'd be a lot of alcohol imbibed. I, from what we've seen of both of those those characters, oh yeah, absolutely. It's um, interesting because that fight happens in one of the Dark Horse Conan comics. Really? Yes. Uh, a Sailor Steve sort of pastiche fights Conan in a boxing match. I want to say in volume two or three of the trade paperbacks, there's a guy in a striped shirt like Sailor Steve wears, and his name is like. Baylor Beeve or something like that. Okay. It's very clearly supposed to be Sailor Steve and they, they <laughs> have a boxing Beeve. match. And who wins? Conan. Okay. In in long order. Okay. I think it takes a while. Yeah. It, it, his name's on the cover though, so you know. Right. Yeah. I, I think, you know, from what we've seen in this story, Costigan can take a licking, right? But he can keep on ticking. We did get some emails as well, right? I have not looked at the emails okay. recently. Well, we got an email from our buddy Evil Ed, uh, who said that, uh, I'll just read it verbatim. I enjoyed the heck out of the boxing training episode. Mark and Chris made me have a flashback to the Howard Day's Fist at the Ice House panel. Their explanation of the boxing story's place in Howard's literary canon was fascinating to listen to, and I'm looking forward to hearing more talks concerning their influence on his other work. Now on to the Pit of the Serpent. Serpent. I haven't read all the Sailor Steve stuff yet, but of the ones I've read, this one has my favorite beginning and ending. Looking forward to y'all's discussion of it. Keep up the excellent work, Ed. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, man. Thanks. And we also got an email recently from uh, Nils, and he said, Hi, I just wanted to provide feedback that I'm very excited about Season 5. I have all the Delray Howard books that were published a few years ago, so I'm pretty familiar with the characters you've already covered. But the boxing stories are completely new to me, so looking forward to learning more about them. So, hooray! Yeah, th- maybe this season is going to get more folks to check out some of these boxing tales that yeah, are if, overlooked. If you're looking for an affordable way to get the stories, there's a lot of different options. I know, I know, we outlined a number of the the core texts that you can pick up on the on the last episode. Like if you're actually looking some, for something in hardback or paperback, uh, but. There's a number of different Kindle editions, so for a matter of a buck or two, you should be able to get these. I mean, a lot of them are in the uh, the public domain, and you can access that way. But if you want to get them in a collected form, it's it's super easy. So just Google around. Get on your Amazons or your iTunes or whatever. <laughs> whatever the kids is doing these days yeah. to get their electronic books that they read on the iPads and their phones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. It seems like we're <laughs> seems like we may be done here. I think uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> anything else before we sign off? No, I think we're good, dude. Okay. Uh, we'll see you next time for the Bulldog Breed. You can find us on the web at thecromcast.blogspot.com. You can email us thecromcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at thecromcast. Uh, Facebook.com slash thecromcast. Uh, a couple of ways you can get in touch with us and leave some feedback, or you can give us a call at 859 859- 429-CROM. Get your parents' permission. That's right. See y'all later. Bye.
there's this really cool story that Mark Millar tells about him because they're both Scottish, like they grew up together, sort of. Okay. And I guess he went over there to to Morrison's house to pick him up to go drinking, and he knocked on the door, nothing. Knocked on the door, nothing. He knocked on it one more time, and he said the door swung open with no assistance. And Grant Morrison floated down the stairs, and he was wearing nothing but a sheet. He had a sheet wrapped around his neck, and he was naked. And Grant Morrison floated down the stairs to him, and Mark Millar said, Hey, you want to you go out to the pub? And he said, I can't. I'm on peyote, and I'm riding, and I've just started commuting with Jupiter. And he floated back up the stairs, and the door closed again. Wow. I believe it. <laughs> 